little children are not very good at hiding what they feel. I think that we as adults become very sophisticated in covering up what we really think, but little children aren't. They put it on full display. Uh, Try as hard as we as parents might try to tell our children otherwise, they make it very clear to the very kind people who are having you over for dinner, who've sacrificed to make that dinner, that they do not in fact like that dinner. They make it very clear when you're at other people's houses that they are not in fact having a good time when it's nowhere near the time to leave. They make it clear and they do not like the toy that you bought them, that you wanted them to like so much. We love little children in part because they have no pretense. They simply say things as they are, and we are terribly embarrassed by our little children because they have no pretense, and they say things as they are. I think this is the same with who you trust in life. I can't tell you the number of times after a service I've been at the door and one of your children has run away from me because they're afraid of me, but they're not afraid of you. They always run right to mom and dad because they know who they belong to and they know who they don't. It's the same with Jesus. And we're going to see that this morning as we go back into the book of John, John 10. As Jesus begins to teach about his own relationship to his people and his people's relationship to him. As we make our way through John's gospel, Jesus is now facing more and more scrutiny. Who is he? And he's clarifying more and more who he really is and his own relationship to his people. This morning, he clearly makes evident sheep have no pretense. Sheep know their shepherd. Jesus knows his own. And his own know Jesus. That's what John is saying this morning. Turn to John 10. John 10, I'm going to read the first 21 verses, and then we're going to work our way through this passage. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, For they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. 
If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd, For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Here's the main point from this text. Jesus is the good shepherd who knows his sheep. And his sheep know him. Jesus is the good shepherd who knows his sheep. And his sheep know him. Three images I want us to walk through, work through in this passage. Number one, the sheepfold. Number two, the door. Number three, the shepherd. The sheepfold, the door, and the shepherd. May the Lord bless you as you hear his word this morning. Let's begin with the sheepfold. That's the first six verses of John 10. We left John 9 two weeks ago, and we saw there a blind man received his sight from Jesus. He sided with Jesus, and the Pharisees kicked him out. This once blind man kicked out by his own religious leaders, found refuge in the arms of Jesus. After we had lived here for some time, I remember very well after getting used to things here, number one, how green the United States or other countries were when I went to them for the first time after living here. I I felt like I saw them with, with new eyes, the grass and the plants, it was everywhere. And I genuinely did not take it for granted. Two, I remember how unusual it was to me to see people in their front yards. The walls around the houses had become so normal to me. I mean, imagine today if we left and there weren't walls around houses here. It's normal to us. 
Those who were listening to Jesus in that day instinctively understood every image he was using in this passage. Like walls around their houses, all of this was very much part of their daily life. Here in these first verses, he's setting up what he's going to teach on for the rest of this chapter. So he first here speaks about the sheep, this sheepfold, which is by the door. And they, without even thinking about it, would have understood everything he was, he was talking about. Every house or every couple of houses in that world would have had a, a courtyard or a small area beside their house that would have been enclosed by a wall, and that was the sheepfold. And so you would have one family or you would have a number of families who would keep their sheep in that sheep fold. There would be all kinds of sheep in it. And as Jesus describes it, there's this door through which you go, you enter into the sheepfold. So you see a gatekeeper there in, in verse three, and this would have been someone hired to guard, to open, shut the gate for the shepherd. Because, verse 2, the one who enters by the door is the shepherd. Now, why were there shepherds, gatekeepers for the sheep? Well, first, and, and, and most obviously, what you're all thinking, sheep were val valuable. They were deemed worthy of protection. They needed to be looked after. But they weren't just valuable. They were vulnerable to thieves, and to robbers. The very people Jesus said, don't come in by the door, but they climb in another way. So the robbers and the thieves are in direct contrast to the shepherd. Now, what's Jesus doing here? Why, why is he doing this here? This is right after the man who was once blind, he now sees he's been cast out of the synagogue. And Jesus now teaches about sheep and shepherd. And even as Michael read to us from Ezekiel 34, God's people had this long history of having and suffering under bad shepherds. And they were taught to anticipate a day when God himself would set over them a Davidic shepherd who would wonderfully, righteously, attend to and feed the sheep. And Jesus means for them, he means for us to be asking the question, who's our shepherd? Who's the thief? Who's the robber? Notice here in verse three, he, he starts to hone in on the voice of the shepherd. It's the shepherd's voice that the sheep know and, and follow. Verse five, they do not know the stranger's voice. They flee from him rather than follow him. Now, already in John, Jesus has emphasized the authority of his own word. So back in John 5, Jesus ties his own authority, the authority of his voice with the voice of the Father. Those who do not believe in Jesus do not have the Father's word abiding in them. And then in John 8, he ties his word, the teaching and the claims that come from his mouth, 
with the very words of God, John 8, 47. And if you can't understand Jesus, it's because John 8, 43, you can't bear his words. And so you're of your father, the devil. So what you do with Jesus's voice, with his teaching, reveals whether you're one of Jesus's sheep or not. He's making this link between what he says and those who follow him as sheep. And you know this. I mean, a number of you have pets. You're pet owners. Pets know their owners. I mean, I've been to some of your houses who have dogs. And what do dogs do when I show up? Thankfully, they don't attack. But they do get excited, not because I'm there, but because it's someone they don't know. So they sniff. They want to get to know you. They want to know who this person is. They don't respond to my voice when I speak. I do respond to their owner. I knew this personally very well when I was growing up. Um, I actually played sports. I was on the team. Often that meant I had a really good seat from the bench, but I was on the team. And that means I played sports. We had a lot of spirit in our school. You know, the students and the families, the parents would come to the games. They cheered. So when I did play, and sometimes that was at the very end of the game when it didn't matter, so I couldn't mess it up, or in the heat of the game, I will tell you what to this day stands out to me without even thinking about it. I could hear my dad's voice in distinction from the crowd. He had a deep voice. When he yelled something, when he said something, I heard it. And I can even hear it now as I'm relaying this to you. I could pick out his voice in distinction from anyone. And that was certainly the case when I got in trouble. The same is true for sheep. Seen sheep wandering aimlessly in a pasture different directions, and the shepherd calls, and like clockwork, they go to his voice. And those that were listening to Jesus knew this instinctively. The sheep know the voice of the shepherd. They follow the voice of the shepherd. They feel safe under the voice of the shepherd. Wasn't that something they just seen with the blind man? He was in that crowd listening. His world has been turned upside down. He can see. And he's been seen out of the very religious community and religious leaders he had looked to, to protect him. But what was he proving to be? One of Jesus's sheep. He heard his voice. He followed Jesus. I have to believe he was seeing himself in this story Jesus was telling. And then realize as Jesus describes this sheepfold, not everyone who heard the voice of the shepherd followed because he's teaching that in this sheepfold of Judaism, he is calling some out. And there are some who hear his voice and they come to him as he calls. Not all of the sheep in that sheepfold had the same shepherd. 
Now, he's not just teaching here about the sheepfold. He's also teaching about the shepherd. For the shepherd's part, verse 3, he leads the sheep. He calls his own sheep by name. Verse 4, the shepherd brings out all his own and he goes before them. It's not just the sheep that know the shepherd. It is that the shepherd know the sheep. Each of the sheep. Here's Jesus saying this as this tension between the synagogue and Jesus, between the religious leaders and Jesus heats up. He's putting himself in between the man who was once blind, whom he found, and the religious leaders who kicked him out. Whose voice do you not just hear, but listen to and follow? There are so many voices in this world competing for your soul. If you're a Christian, you know and must listen to the shepherd's voice. He's called you, think of this, verse 3, by name. And you followed. Stay close to Jesus, the chief shepherd. Called you by name knows you by name. If he knows your name, he knows your place. He knows your boundary lines. He knows your struggles. When he called you out, verse four, he does not, as maybe you've seen like a shepherd, drive the sheep from behind. He leads from the front. He does not ever call you to go anywhere where he himself has not gone bodily. And on this side of the cross, we know that that means even into death itself. This morning, hear the voice of your shepherd, how, as his word is proclaimed to you, distinguish his voice from other voices in this world that are nothing, that are merely strangers. Flee from them. Think about this. This right here, as the word is being proclaimed, is how the shepherd is shepherding you. Brothers and sisters, you were made to live under good authority. Now, some of you right now in your own life, you know you're under good authority. You might have a great boss at work, kids. You have good authority in your parents, in your home. And that's a blessing from God. Good authority in the government. Or maybe you've known bad authority. And so you want nothing of authority. But authority in and of itself is good. It's the misuse of authority that is bad. And you know you want someone who has authority to use it in the way that Jesus uses it here. We think about the blind man, how much joy he would have known. This man is my shepherd. He protects me. He cares for me. He knows me. He loves me. No different for you. The same love and care Jesus showed to the blind man, he shows 
you as one of his sheep. He knows each of the sheep in the sheepfold. Jesus is the chief shepherd. And he sets up pastors as under shepherds. Uh, This is why a pastor's authority is directly tied to the word. Not just the words of Jesus, but the whole of the scriptures, which Jesus affirmed as the word of God. We listen to the shepherd's voice in the word. Now, I'm well aware some of you have been hurt by the church. I'm well aware that you've known a bad experience in the Lord's church. But just because you've known a distortion of what is good, does that mean you should throw out what is good as well? It would be like saying because you you had a bad experience in a family, you don't like families. I mean, families aren't perfect, but we love them. Same with churches and pastors. Not perfect, but given to us from the Lord. And the gospel of grace means churches can be faithful, healthy, and well. If that's something that's a struggle for you, I'd love to talk to you. And any of the pastors here would love to talk to you. We, we don't want you to stay far off from the flock on the edges. We want you to be in the flock. I want you to trust that the Lord means good to you in his church with the rest of us sheep under his word. Uh, for me in my own life, as ministry has gone on, I've, I've found such joy and a kindness from God in the friendships that I have that I know that man is going to give me counsel from the word. He will correct me and he will encourage me from the word. And that's what pastoral ministry should be. Pastors under the sheep, chief shepherd should feed the sheep with the word. And God is pleased for faith to come to you by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Our savior addresses his people through faithful and right preaching of the word. And oh, how I want for that to change your view of preaching. Me or whoever stands in front of you is merely the tool to give you the word of the shepherd. How eager that should be to make you come hear the word. As the sheep, the savior is always addressing you in love. Love undeserved but he can only speak to you in love. What a joy it was for me last weekend to sit under the word of God. I I bet like you, our hearts rose with joy as we heard the gospel proclaimed at length. As we heard the chief shepherd with his voice through his word address us. We considered the power and the wisdom of God. Why? Because I knew as a sheep, I was being addressed through God's word by my shepherd. And the spirit was testifying to me, that's the truth. That's the truth. And it gave me joy. It's mysterious, but it's how our chief shepherd has purposed to work. Do you hear his voice? Do you love his voice? Listen to the voice 
of your chief shepherd. And yet this is Jesus using the imagery of the sheepfold, simply setting up what is to come. They don't understand his figure of speech. And so he explains more. So next we turn to the door. The door, verses 7 through 10. They were confused by Jesus. And so now he begins to make it more explicit. The crowd knew sheep pens by the gate and shepherds and robbers. They did not know how Jesus as the son sit by the father related to the sheep. So here he explains and he clarifies. And notice there he hones in on the metaphor of the door. Verse 7, truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Now he says it twice there in verse 7 and in verse 9. And he says that all who came before him were thieves and robbers. What's he referring to? He's referring to pretend messiahs. Those who led the people astray, they would have riled them up in some kind of messianic fervor, but they were just pretenders in the end. Now, why were they thieves? They misled the sheep. They tried to steal sheep. Whatever authority that they did have, it was not for the good of the sheep. A thief, a robber, very matter-of-factly, takes what is not theirs. They have bad intentions for what is not theirs. They do their work often in the dark, but always with dark motives. Of course, Jesus is speaking about the religious authorities. They'd taken so much from God's people. They had used all of their authority not to give life, but to bind people's consciences to what does not give life. Kill and steal, and destroy. That's what the thief does. It's so easy to understand this when it comes to sheep who have a known shepherd. I think it's much different spiritually when it comes to buying for spiritual authority. I I imagine this crowd that's listening to Jesus having all kinds of different emotions as they saw him work and as they heard him teach. They had known life, spiritual life, under the leadership of these Pharisees, and they had known their life sucked out of them. I wonder, given what they had seen of Jesus's very authoritative teaching, of his clear power, I wonder if they wanted to be hopeful, and yet they had known so many disappointments in their own spiritual life, that they were just numb. They weren't going to be fooled again. They were not going to let this man crush their hopes again. So easy for us on the outside to see what's happening here. So different, isn't it, when you're on the inside? How misled they had been. How robbed they had been how destroyed they had been for so long. Bound to wicked shepherds who robbed them of so much life that when the good shepherd was standing right in front of them, it took time to understand. Spiritual wounds take time to heal. Real time to heal. 
bad authority leaves deep scars. We should never underestimate how hard it is for a slave to leave what has enslaved them. Never underestimate how powerless those who are under terrible authority believe they are. It's why the Israelites wanted to go back to Egypt. Because for them, leaving slavery for life was far more terrifying than leaving the good life that was ahead and going back into slavery. Even in this fallen world, especially in this fallen world, terrible authority, idols, can become terribly comfortable authorities under which to live. The thief comes to kill and destroy. And there are spiritual leaders who do the same today. They see you as those to be used for their personal gain, for their kingdom, not God's and his kingdom. They use Christ and maybe even him crucified for themselves, not to exalt Christ and him crucified. What is the idol though? What are the idols that are promising you so much and you know in your heart of hearts are giving you so little? Why do they have that kind of power? You know, it only does because you believe something about it. You believe there's joy in it or affirmation or pleasure or something apart from which you believe the good life is not possible. I would challenge you in, in light of this to ask questions of your idols. Identify them. Ask yourself what you want from that. Ask yourself, is it delivering? And then ask the chief shepherd to free you. When it comes to thieves and robbers, the sheep do not listen to them. Ultimately, they don't follow them. That's what Jesus says in verse 9. I am the door. What does he mean? If you enter by him you will be saved. You'll go in and out. You'll find pasture. Uh, this is language Jesus has used elsewhere. Sermon on the Mount. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. But the gate is narrow that leads to life. And in the same way here, Jesus teaches about himself as exclusive. If anyone enters by me, why does Jesus demand and actually proclaim exclusivity? Why do Christians insist that Jesus is the only way, the door to salvation? Well, first, because it's what Jesus says. He did not ever present himself as one option among many, but as the only option to the exclusion of many. You cannot, no matter how hard you try, escape exclusivity. 
You cannot escape it. Even the position that there are many ways to God is exclusive in this way. It puts forth its vantage point as the exclusive vantage point. The one that sees rightly over and above and yes to the exclusion of the other vantage points. And ultimately, his claim to exclusivity, as we test any claim to exclusivity, his is tied to the fact of his resurrection. Either he was raised bodily from the dead or he was not. And if he wasn't, disregard everything he says. But second, notice he assumes there is a great problem in the world. His sheep threatened by robbers. And he understands it would be wrong for him to subject his sheep to just any spiritual shepherd. That's the situation of his people. They've been used again and again by those who've harmed them. And he himself comes claiming he alone can provide salvation for his sheep. He is the door through which salvation is found. Not just that, not only saves, to go in through him, verse 9, is to go in and out and to find pasture. What is he clearly saying? This is the life the sheep are meant to live. Safety, in and out, finding pasture, flourishing, abundance. He's not come to kill you. He has not come to destroy you. Remarkably, the Son of God comes into the world to give life abundant. Abundant life in which his people flourish. In which his people overflow with joy. In which his people become who God has made us to be. Do you see this? Do you believe this? I, I so wonder what his original hearers thought. I mean, was this really believable to them? How could someone with this kind of authority who freely opens the eyes of this blind man make promises like this? He's not asking anything of us. He's giving himself to us. He's promising to, to give us life, live in a way we are too afraid to even dream about. Isn't that what's attractive about Christians? We're so ordinary. And yet you know, when you know an older Christian in the Lord, they have a joy, a hope this world can't touch. I mean, when you think about the abundant life, what comes to mind? Jesus means for you to think of him. Being under his word, in him, united to him by faith, under his good authority, knowing him, content in him, simply trusting your Savior, Jesus, his promises that are better and lasting. He knows that this world is unpredictable. He knows that your life it won't always make sense to you, but he is steady faithful, and good. 
and he satisfies your deepest, deepest desires. He's, he's saying, it's not just, I won't let you down. I'm going to give you the good life in me. Why, why do you think hard thoughts of Jesus? Why do you think better thoughts of that or that person more than of Jesus? I mean, has anything else ever given to you like Jesus? Your idols are never going to stop demanding of you. They will never satisfy you. Jesus does. He is the door to abundance. He is abundance. Through him, in him is salvation. And in Jesus is life that is content and fat and happy. Abundant life. The sheepfold and the door. And finally, the shepherd. The shepherd. Verses 11 through 21. He's alluded to it. And now he comes out and says it. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You know, as they were listening to Jesus teach, they were in the presence of the Pharisees who had taken their lives, laid burdens on them that they could not carry. They were the kind of shepherds who saw a blind man be given his sight and never once did they rejoice with him or his parents. But here's someone different. He lays down his life for the sheep because he's bound to his sheep. So interesting. He doesn't say he kills to protect the sheep. He speaks of something more sacrificial. He dies that his sheep will live. He means for these sheep to understand he's the kind of shepherd who, in which their destiny is tied up with him. As he goes, they will go. Of course, he's preparing them for the cross. He's not just different from the Pharisees. He's different, verse 12, from the hired hand. The hired hand works for money. His loyalty to the sheep, his protection is all bound up with the money he's paid. Now, he's not a thief, not wicked. He just works for pay. There's nothing wrong with that. The sheep needed protection, and he would have been useful in that way in so many ways. But as soon as the big bad wolf comes, the hired hand is gone. He's there for the money, not ultimately for the sheep, because he cares not ultimately for the sheep. Now, what is it that sets Jesus apart as the good shepherd? Look at verse 14. Remarkable how he defines it. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as he knows the Father, and the Father knows the Son. Now, don't Skip over that. Jesus is pointing to the father-son relationship, not just as the pattern, but as the necessary precondition for Jesus' own relationship with the sheep. The Spirit is not coming to the forefront here, but 
elsewhere, the Spirit does come to the forefront. Jesus is teaching, laying the groundwork to teach that if there is no triune God, there is no salvation. A single person God cannot save you. In salvation, the work of the triune Godhead is necessary. Each person doing different work. In salvation, you, Christian, are brought into the life, the relationship, the communion of the triune Godhead. That is astonishing. A single person God can do nothing more than call you into service and demand service. Triune Godhead has known and enjoyed fellowship with each other from eternity past. And as we are united to the Son by faith, so we enjoy life and relationship with our triune God. How does the Father know the Son and the Son know the Father? Perfectly, fully, joyfully, eternally, with delight. Jesus is saying, he knows his sheep in this way. I know them. They know me. It's experiential from shepherd to sheep and sheep to shepherd. He does not know you in the abstract. He knows you by name. As the father knows the son. Now that should be an overwhelming thought to you. That should be high and great to you. And the shepherd means you to know it. And he means you to live in and out of the abundance of that. I think if I sat down with you and you with me and we were to talk very honestly with each other, we would admit we have deep fears. You might say that I fear once they or he or she really gets to know me, I won't be enough. Or once I fail, or once my weaknesses become apparent, or once they get too close. And this is what Jesus is saying. He says, I know you fully. And I'm not like the hired hand who cares nothing about you. I don't run away when trouble comes. I run toward trouble. I lay down my life for the sheep. My knowledge of you, all of you, does not drive me away from you. I'm not embarrassed of you as I know you. I will not hurt you or use you as I know you because his knowledge of you as, his, as your shepherd is driven by prior love for you. And that moved him to die for you. And it means you, through Jesus, live and can live an abundant life, which you wouldn't otherwise even dream about. Brothers and sisters, that's gospel. That is good news. I think that's news that is too good to be true. But it's true. It's what our shepherd said to people that had been so abused and used by worthless religious leaders. Whatever you've thought about the depths of your Savior's love and care for you in Christ has not been enough. Think more of it. 
father knows the son, so the shepherd knows the sheep. He he knows you. He, He knows where you've strayed. He knows where you are. He cares for his sheep. And even more sheep. There are more sheep who are not of the fold, who will bring in one flock under one shepherd. What's consistent? Of course, he's speaking of the Gentiles. What's consistent? What he says, they too will listen to his voice. That's the wonder of this. I mean, you you can go to a gospel preaching church somewhere you've never been with God's people in Christ. And you know, when you hear his word, you're all hearing the same voice. You know, you share the same spirit. It's for this reason, verse 17, the father loves the son. Now, Jesus is not saying that the father only loves him because he lays his life down. What he's saying is that the father and the son know complete devotion and love such that Jesus has come to die and to win the sheep such that in dying, in dying, he gains, he receives resurrection life in himself and so gives resurrection life to those who are his own. That's the gospel. In this world in which sheep have not just wandered away, but have rebelled against the shepherd. The chief shepherd, the very son of God, comes to die on a shameful cross to save the sheep. And God raised him from the dead and he has all authority in heaven on earth to give resurrection life to any who would ever turn from their sins and believe in him. And the question is, do you hear his voice? Is the chief shepherd calling to you, come to me this morning? Come to him by faith, not by works, but with empty hands, by grace through faith. He will give you life and he will bring you into the fellowship he knows with his own father. That's the gospel of grace. The father and the son planned from eternity that the father would win a, the father would send the son to win a people and he would die for them. That's why Jesus says very clearly, verse 18, he's not a helpless shepherd. He has authority. He will lay his life down of his own accord. He will take it up. This is the charge he's received from the father. Pilate's going to act. Judas will act. Those who crucify him will act. But ultimately, all who did act did what God's hand had planned and predestined to take place. They could not thwart the plan of the Father and the Son. The Son, shepherd, obeys and fulfills the charge that the Father has given the Son. And so has been the case throughout this gospel, verses 19 through 21, Jesus divided the Jews. Does he have a demon or not? Who does he come from? Where does he get his power? What's interesting is no one disputed that he had power. It's where the power comes from that's in dispute. Who would you say is behind the power of Jesus? The blind man who now sees and others in that crowd 
knew they were hearing the voice of the shepherd. And they knew that they were those being called out of the sheepfold and they were bound for better and more abundant pastures. As the leaders were turning on Jesus, they followed Jesus. What about you? Whose voice will you hear? Whose voice are you following? Brothers and sisters, very plainly, as you follow Jesus, the good shepherd, you don't need any pretense. You don't need to be someone that you're not. Like simple sheep, he means for you to simply trust him. Trust Jesus more and more. And entrust yourself to him. To know that you belong to him and he belongs to you. He is the good shepherd who with all of his power and authority will not destroy you. He will give you life and he will lay down his life and make you his own.